the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions. We are in the month of October, which means it's spooky season, baby. So my plan for all of October is to, you know, continue on with our two episodes a week. We'll do a regular wrestling athlete, cool person in general on Tuesdays. And then on Thursdays, drop the haunted episodes. So this is our very first one. I had on Jim Perry, my guest... He's a fascinating man. I met him just briefly when John and I were up in Seattle a couple weeks ago. John went up to uh, to work with Defy Wrestling, and Jim is uh, one of the founders of Defy Wrestling. So he picked us up at the airport, and we shot the shit on our way to the hotel. And it was during that car ride that we were talking. I don't even know how it came, how it got brought up. To be honest, I don't know how we got on the topic. Maybe he was talking about my podcast, and he mentioned that he also hosts a podcast. So he hosts a podcast called Euphemit which is fantastic. And it's all about the paranormal world. And he does docu-series in the paranormal world, all fascinating stuff. So him and I hit it off right away because I love talking about stuff like that. And I love that he has put so much time and effort and energy into that space. And I can't wait to see what other things he's got kind of up his sleeve in that world. Uh, But I was like, oh my God, I've got to get him on this show. I need to pick his brain. I want to talk ghosts with him. I want to talk to him about his show and... Uh, just about the ghost spirit world from beyond. So we got into it. I had him on. He's a guest today. Um, we talk about vampires and ghosts. And he tells me other uh, other tales I should be aware of and different books that I should be reading and whatnot. We talk about, yeah, just like some some haunted stories. I lived in a haunted house at one point. We talk about it. <laughs> Let's get into it. Here he is. Here's Jim Perry. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so tired today. But <laughs> Why? What's going on? The world is back open and it's crazy. So right after we saw each other at Defy, I was on a plane and I was, you know, I went to Indianapolis and then two hours after that, I was in some somewhere deep in the rural forests of Indiana doing a euphemet taping. And my schedule for this week is the same and it's just, it's not stopping and it's great, but it's definitely like, Hey, remember this? Like life again? (laughs) Oh, it's like, it is a shock to the system. You're like, wait, I was like doing my own schedule and really have to be anywhere for a while. And now it's like, yeah, you're being hit from all angles. Where do you have to go next? Well, next is going to be easy. Next will be Los Angeles. So that'll be fun. And then after that, uh, back to the Midwest, I'm going to be, I got to fly into Cincinnati, Ohio. <gasps> I'm going to be in That's Ohio. our place. And uh, then driving up to this town called Post Town, which I guess is like 45 minutes north of Cincinnati. And it has a tremendously haunted elementary school there. <gasps> closed down elementary Oh my God. School. Okay. I love all this stuff so much. So this is the very first like Halloween-esque episode that we're doing. It's October. Of course, I've got on my, my pumpkin hat. I am not messing around. First, tell everyone about Euphemit. Tell us about the podcast, about the show, about your whole background and doing these docu-series. 
Yeah, I started doing these docu-series back in 2018 for my show, Euphemet, which is available like anywhere podcasts are. So if you want to listen to it, uh, just find it there. What is Euphemet? What is like, what does that mean? I made mean? it up. Yeah. Oh, I made okay. up the word. Yeah. Like back when I started the show, it was just an interview show and I just wanted something that was brandable and ownable. I come from uh, like an agency background, a creative agency background. And so I took a lot of those things that I picked up over the years doing that and just kind of started to apply into my own stuff. And the first thing I thought was like, you know, when you're dealing with the paranormal, every version of sort of like a paranormal word has been used before. Strange, spooky, go like just name it. There's like some play on it. Somebody's already took the URL. Somebody has a podcast already. So I started thinking about things that were interesting to me about the paranormal. One of the phenomenons that's sort of fascinating a theory about how the paranormal works is that it's sort of like a trickster like people are kind of being tricked by the paranormal and there's almost like a playful nature to it but it's also kind of dark so i started thinking of like what's a euphemism for like a tricky devil and like oh euphemistic baphomet like euphemet okay i'll just smash those two together ah, and it just sounded fun i like that all right yeah i mean making up words you're made up a word and it seems believable. I like that a lot. What compelled me to to do Euphemet in general, my origin story like is very tied together with Defy as well, because they both started happening at the same time in my life. I was a creative director for an ad agency. I was doing a lot of like commercial work and social media stuff for uh, Fortune 100 companies that everybody knows who they are. And at the same time, I was becoming very disillusioned with that process. And it was burning me out to a crisp. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't care about this stuff. I'm just selling things. So I started having anxiety issues. I had to go to the ER one time for a panic attack. <sighs> Love a good panic attack. Love a panic attack. Right? Fuck. And so I was like, something needs to change here. And so I started looking at things that I used to really, really love. One of the things was wrestling. And another one of those things was paranormal late night talk radio. And so I found a bunch of old archives of like 1990s paranormal stuff. I started watching wrestling again. Coincidentally, like with the emergence of the shields, coincidentally, like <laughs> yeah. that, just that era. So there was some familiar faces like on TV at that time. And I started to connect with it in a way where I was like, listen, I don't, I'm not going to do anything with this stuff. It's not going to inspire me to be a part of it, but it will be kind of therapeutic to connect with that little kid again and just like relax. Well, I kind of messed up because I did get super inspired <laughs> by both things. And it led to me launching Defy Wrestling shortly after. And it led to me starting that podcast, both of those things back in like 2015, 2016. So you've met in general, though, like, although it was originally a, an interview series, it's now a documentary series. And so I have the opportunity to go and, and travel the country and embed myself with the subjects for sometimes a couple of days. And it was an opportunity for me to connect with individuals that were also experiencing a lot of tremendous unknown things in their life. And it happened to lead me to some really great adventures and connecting base with some people with some really wild experiences and also very divergent kind of belief systems and how they identify themselves. Have you had paranormal experiences? Yeah. Ooh, okay. What was your first experience with the paranormal? The first experience I had with the paranormal was actually within my family. My grandma and my mom were very close. And I remember distinctly as a child sitting there like watching TV and my mom would walk up to the telephone and pick it up 
and start talking to my grandma without it ever ringing. And conversely, the same, the same thing. I'd be with my grandma. She'd walk over to the phone, pick it up, start talking to my mom. And it would happen. I'm, I'm, it's not hyperbole when I say it would happen almost every day. These two had such a crazy connection like that. What a weird thing. Yeah. I later learned that kind of like ran throughout the family on the, on the woman's side of the family and that it was a common thing for them. And they just called it their ESP ability. And they didn't really hype it up or, you know, kind of make it a big deal. And so for me, it allowed me to like step into a world where I was like, I don't know, like a lot of stuff is possible, I guess. <laughs> like this stuff is just normal, I guess. And then the the other childhood experience I had was just, I think um, it was potentially something called ball lightning. You know, folks in other parts of the country where it, it becomes incredibly humid and the temperature changes uh, drastically can experience these these huge balls of lightning, like glowing orbs that can sort of move around indeterminately and like almost have their own life force or something. And they're usually very fleeting, but they can really scare the shit out of you, too, <laughs> if you don't know what it is. Where so would something like that happen? I think it's actually pretty common in the Midwest. And some of the southern states. So, yeah, get ready. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I saw it at my grandfather's house. I was probably watching. Honestly, I was probably watching like an old like WCW Saturday night in the 90s or whatever. And I was sitting there watching the TV and this ball of light, this orb emerges from the television, flies over my head as I'm sitting on the ground, takes a corner, turns into the kitchen and then flies out the kitchen door. What? I'll never forget that in my life. So these are the type of things, though, I think that for me as a kid, those are things that you experience. It kind of piques your interest. You go, what else could be there? You maybe investigate to a certain degree, and then just life kind of happens, and it sends you in a different trajectory. And I think a lot of people share that experience of having spooky things happen when they're a child, right? Like maybe you are familiar, <laughs> I know. Um, maybe it never emerges again with people because they're sort of in the flow of life, you know, kind of the consensus idea of reality. But for other folks, like these things can start creeping back into their life if they just kind of like open up their minds to it a little bit, I think. Is that why it's a thing that affects children more than it does adults? Because they're they're like bright eyed and just kind of absorbing everything and their minds have not already been shaped into this like work regimen that we all are in? Yeah, many people would say that, you know, I think there's this idea that children also have this ability to be connected to the other side in a greater degree. There's uh, there was a book by this author, Leslie Kane, who uh, does a lot of work for The New York Times. And this book, Surviving Death, which was um, also created into a Netflix series, which people can watch right now. There's a lot of scientific evidence showing. Oh, I've seen that, that show. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Right. And so like kids that start telling their parents about potentially what could have been a past life of theirs. That's my fear. If my kids oh my start gosh. doing that, I'm out. <laughs> I don't know where I I'm leaving her, yeah. but you've got to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Doorstep. That's <laughs> doorstep somewhere. Grandma? You know, we joke about it, but there's a potential that that's like actually happened to people in the past. And that once their children start exhibiting like this higher level of connection of something else, maybe a greater degree of observance of some of these things that like sort of beats that out of them in a way. It's a terrible way to describe it. But like one thing that pressures them 
to leave that behind, I think, is the pressure socially of others within their family and friends and everything else where it becomes just something fun and something that you should just forget about because that imaginary friend you had was just a figment of your imagination and probably almost all the time it is. But are there occasions when that's not the case? Yeah, of course. I mean, if there is a situation where there's a ghost talking to a child or communicating like that's so, I mean, who knows what this is, but when I was pregnant with Nora, I, in one of my ultrasounds, it looks like there's a face in the ultrasound. It's trippy. So I saw it and I was like, mm, I think I'm making that up. So I, I said nothing, but I just sent my mom the ultrasounds because you could see the baby in them. And she was like, there's a face in there. I'm like, I know I saw that too, but I was trying to pretend there wasn't. And what's crazier is that this face looks just like my great grandmother. Oh, so no. it looks like my mom's grandmother. And it is eerie. I kept looking at it and my mom was showing it to other family members. And yeah, I mean, I kept seeing this too. And it, it's trippy. I mean, it wow. it is what it is. I mean, my, at least like if that was something, so I did look that up and there is like, you know, there's a whole forum, of course, online of like other women saying that they had been able to see things and ultrasounds. That looked like it was um, a, a past family member wow. or you can see that it looks like an actual face. I should actually get this photo to use for a social clip for this. It's just so that other people can see it because it is trippy. Um, but then I started to like think I'm like, OK, well, I mean, hey, if that was my great nanny, Shay, who I never met, I never, never got to meet her. Um, at least I know everyone loved her. She was like a lovely, sweet woman. So if she happens to be looking over my daughter who is named after my grandmother, who is my great grandmother's daughter. That does that make sense in the family tree for everybody? Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was very eerie, but there's, yeah, there's a whole thing online of other women saying that they saw the same thing and it looks like a family member. It looks like a face or, or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's trippy, man. Holy smokes. That's amazing. So if my kids start speaking to Gertie, and she starts having a best friend. I'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> She's been over, like looking over my child this entire time. Yeah. And, and when I was pregnant, I was watching um, another show on Netflix. I think of, oh, fuck. What is it called? My child. It's a, it's a thing about kids having past lives. And it's crazy. These kids like that, like could this one little girl could fully draw out the map of the Titanic saying that they were one of the people that was like on the Titanic and helped to engineer and to build it. And they kept drawing like the smokestacks that were on the on the Titanic. And there was some kind of thing of one of them didn't work. So one of them didn't have smoke billowing out of it. And the drawing she didn't. She was like, well, yeah, because it actually was not a functioning one. And the mom went and did research on the Titanic and was like, holy shit, how could she have known that? Like that, that stuff blows my mind. And I believe it. I mean, I, I do believe in like past lives and being old souls and having like experienced different parts of the world and different generations of the world. Like I, I can totally buy into that. I don't know how that works, but the thing with it is that beyond belief, because I like, I like to believe as well. I have to be very careful with my work to say, I believe about certain things because the topics and individuals that I'm working with and trying to tell their story, help them share their story uh, are very divergent and very varied. So if I go into the route of, you know, sort of convincing myself to fully fall into belief. I feel like it's a slippery slope until I stop doing this work and I can go like 
full wild belief man. (laughs) (laughs) So is that because when you're working with these people that they'll think you're like wacko Jacko and you're just trying to like make them believe it, that it's all sort of like a sleight of hand trick kind of situation? Definitely. That's part of it. To ease the subject's mind that I'm not going to not believe them, that that I'm there to support uh, them and their beliefs and their systems and what their experiences have been. And I think the lesser they know sometimes about what my belief system may be, the better I'll be able to help them relate to me as kind of like a, uh, you know, a, a, a blank slate. And same with the listeners, right? So Yuvamed has listened to a lot of people that don't watch like sort of ghost shows. It's done in sort of like a public radio style. I wanted to make it where individuals who are maybe just curious about the subject can kind of like lose themselves in the stories of other people and get lost in that human narrative without being sort of intimidated by the level of this is all real and you got to believe it because I would never want to try to like ask people that because of the nature of the topics that are that are discussed like some of them are pretty far out there per like sort of typical standards. I mean, we had an episode where, I mean, just an example, a lovely guy named Balfasar. Balfasar, what a name. Yeah, Balfasar Ashantison is his name. You know, I believe it was like sort of inherited by some messages that he received and by like who his mentors were, but he's a voodoo priest and a vampire in New Orleans. And so what reminded me of the story a little bit is when you talked about like you had your experience and you went online and there were forums. One of the ways I find a lot of subjects are sort of through these forums because all throughout the internet are these communities of people that have either identify as something very fringe per like sort of popular belief systems or just need to share this crazy story and they find somehow it siphons down into people that shared such similar experiences that you can't help but create community around those like very specific situations. So Balfasar is like a representative of the vampire community in New Orleans. This is a group that when they collect together in groups, they refer to themselves as houses. So he's the head of a house. And according to him, there are houses in every city and town in America and around the world. And we just don't know. So there are these secret houses of real vampires. Most of them, I'll say, are not malicious They do drink human blood because there's a belief system that physiologically they are getting something from it. Where do they get the human blood from? It's really interesting. Most houses form groups with donors. And so in addition to the vampires, there's this donor community. Balthasar, for example, he's put together a contract and the contract is similar to what people will see, what he referenced as like maybe the S&M or bondage community. Where it's like this physical contract that states, you'll be a donor, we'll do this regimen of testing between ourselves, blood work and all these different things to make this as safe as possible. And here's like sort of a schedule of when you'll donate blood to me. And sometimes it'll be as much as a, what did he say? Like a quart potentially of blood um, throughout a certain period of time. And usually the methods are different too. Sometimes they'll place it in a bag, etc. Most of the time, and for Balfazar, will be direct like lip to skin. He's sucking it out. Yeah, sucking the blood out. Holy shit. So they'll just like, they'll just like, you know, cut a wrist or something and... Yeah, their wrist or their back is a really popular place to do it. 
using just an exacto, like using a, a little blade. They're gigging. Essentially. And then yeah. the skin action and sucking the blood out. And, you know, sometimes these vampires will have like several donors. They'll have three to four to five donors, depending on who you are. They will typically have fangs too, but just for like the kind of the embodiment of the idea. There usually isn't like sort of fang uh, protrusion, but it's a very real relationship. And uh, like any community, there's discourse between the groups and different methods. You know, according to Balthazar, his group is really involved in community outreach. So, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, his house went out into the public and set up food kitchens and fed the homeless. So instead of this like sort of archetype of vampires, like kind of like stalking through shadows and feeding on homeless and stuff, they were feeding the homeless. They were bringing something to their community and still in new Orleans to this day act as like sort of a, a popular community group to offer services. But he says, that's not always the case everywhere. Well, in new Orleans, you would almost, you know, you could understand something like that being embraced a little more just because new Orleans has such a, you know, a rich history with, all things paranormal and all things in that like sort of subculture. So I, I can see that there. But if you have, you're thinking like, wait, does this exist in like Iowa to imagine that community kind of thriving there? Yeah, I mean, in like somewhere like New York City or like San Francisco or something you'd be like, all right, I could kind of see something like that happening. But like, yeah, these other little subcultures, like I love the idea that this all kind of happens kind of underground. And if you know, you know, if you don't, you haven't got the faintest idea that this is a thing that's existing in a, in a group that is thriving. Yeah. It's cool to think about something like that in 2021, right? That that still exists, that things aren't on the internet that we just know about. <laughs> that's fascinating. I wonder what an Iowa vampire party would look like. <laughs> I mean, I want to see what any of these vampires like are. Um, are they dressing like what I imagine a stereotypical vampire is dressing like? Is there a cape and some kind of suit situation or is it like Twilight? Like, what are we dealing with? Some do. So what's funny is I met Balthazar and he was wearing like a Marvel Comics T-shirt and like jeans. And it definitely had like sort of an imposing Victorian era look about him with his tied back salt and pepper hair and everything. But there's actually a rift in that community. Balthazar's group being what he thinks is more authentic and more grounded. And then the other community, which is more uh, theatrical, they get together and have big vampire gala balls where they all dress like they're in that Tom Cruise Brad Pitt movie. It seemingly there's more of like a sort of sexualized component to those ones as well, where it's just like it's a lot of people like trying to go to these things and hook up, I think. It's like interview with the vampire meets like eyes wide shut. That vibe. And Hell so yeah. That's, <laughs> she's she's so she's so so those definitely exist and there's definitely kind of like oh they're just like posers they're just playing around they're not real vampires you know once you're around these individuals if like energy is a real thing like you know you've heard that we can some people think we can kind of like read on energy and sometimes you like move through that and some people claim to be empathic in that way and can kind of sense that stuff when you're around vampires long enough you sort of at least for myself, like I felt like I started to get a sense of their energy. Wow. And it was something I'd never been around. And in fact, in New Orleans, you can go to all these like sort of curio shops and occult shops and everything else. And uh, I found myself like going there right away after like experiencing that energy, just picking up like talismans and like all this stuff that I don't even know if I believe in, like protection amulets and stuff, just to see if 
there's a way that I could protect myself over this energy that I never encountered before. Yeah. I mean, if someone's suggesting this might protect you, this might help. I mean, yeah, I would, I would veer in the direction of use it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, no harm done. Exactly. So it was like months after and I was doing an episode on the Queen Mary that's like parked in Long Beach and it's supposed to be like sort of one of the hottest places in America. And it's a huge cruise ship similar to the Titanic and was used to transport folks from uh, New York to England and even had a, a part in the war effort in World War II. And so this place is parked in Long Beach and you can go and stay there and or you were able to go and stay there. And so I was down there doing an investigation and, and following this investigation, essentially. And some individuals walked in to the restaurant and it was that feeling again. Like I looked at them and I go, oh, you guys are totally vampires. No way. And I just like had that presence. And then I got to know them a little bit through the night and everything else. And sure enough, there was like some stuff going on. It was alarming to me that whatever that sense was, they carried with them. And I was able to distinguish How it. did you say like, <laughs> are you guys vampires? Like, how did you ask them subtly without it being? Because if you ask someone that and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it was one of those things where even though I'm confirming it, we were hinting around it. It was like that kind of situation where where exact words weren't said. They had attended a ghost investigation with us that night, and it was just a tour through like the bowels of the ship, and this guy was doing EVP, electronic voice phenomenon work and stuff. And as the night was rolling on, because ghost investigations, you know, are kind of boring, actually, sometimes they last a long time and you're just sitting there asking questions in an empty room. People started to split off like from the group and it got down to just a couple of us. And a few of those individuals were a part of that group. And as we got to know each other a little bit, you know, I, I like sharing with folks about what the podcast is about. And in case they have a story, I let them know that. I'm a very non-judgmental person and that if they have something going on, they can share. And that's when I was able to sort of confirm like what their position was on uh, things of vampiric in nature. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. I, mean, I, I feel like I got to do a deep dive on this. There's got to be some uh, some of that happening in Las Vegas, I would imagine. Fury and Wilder are back in the ring this Saturday to complete their epic trilogy. And FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new customers exclusive 30 to 1 odds on either fighter to win. That's right. Now is the perfect time to give FanDuel a shot because you can win 150 bucks on a $5 bet. To me, I mean, listen, you know, I got to stick with Fury. He's my WWE guy. I'm going Fury on this one. I think that he gets the deal done, but that's just my opinion. Opinion. So with FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds, boosts, great promotions, and so much more. That's why they're America's number one sports book. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the promo code Renee to get in on the action. That's promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, New Jersey, or Virginia. Or 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or call 1-800-NEXT-STEP 
or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. You have your podcast and you go and you're doing these docuseries. What, and, and like you said, I mean, I imagine there is a lot of downtime of, you know, whether you're confirming that a ghost is there, that a spirit is there. What are some of the moments that you've had of like confirmation? Quite a few of them actually, which is pretty wild to think. I feel very fortunate because people will do these things and investigate and maybe never, ever get evidence that they're looking for a confirmation. But in some occasions, like I've felt like I've had experiences right along with the people that I'm covering that I can't deny and also makes me feel very awkward and um, self-conscious about myself, to tell you the truth, because they're so weird. Case in point, I was in kind of the, the haulers of West Virginia and we were talking the to Moth this- Mothman. Yes, indeed. I got that book, by the way. Oh, it's good, downstairs. Good. You're gonna, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, you're going to love it. And it's, yeah, you're, you're going to be delighted. So I was very close to like Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I was in this place called Braxton County. And it's this town where there is this other crazy monster from that era called the Flatwoods Monster. But I wasn't there to cover that. It just happened to be in the same place of this old saloon inn, this dilapidated three-story wooden chunk of scariness that I went to go meet this man who had claimed to have a sort of a psychic relationship with a very, very wise spirit guide or something when when he was a kid that people thought was just an imaginary friend. So we were going through the story with him and people can find that on the feed and it's a really fun story. But we were, we were standing there and we were getting like tape of him. The sun had gone down and we realized we were in the middle of this building, this old wooden building without any electricity and with just some moonlight coming in to kind of like light the scene. And he was taking us through the space as like kind of like a psychic that was like coming out. So through this interview process, he was kind of like revealing that like he could see people there with us at that moment. So he was walking through these corridors, which was like the scariest like place I've ever been in my life, honestly. And he was describing what he was seeing in these dark rooms. It was a woman from the 1800s, probably. And she's in this tub and the tub is filling with blood. And then there's a baby. There's a tall man walking through. He looks like he maybe owned the place or is somewhat of note. And he's like angry about the state of the building. And he's going and he's yelling at him and then leaving. And so there's all this like stuff going on, which was pretty overwhelming. And I said, you know, let's go back out to the corridor. Let's just talk a little bit and get ourselves out of the situation in this dark hallway. So we go out and uh, I'm trying to wrap up the interview as it's getting late and it's weird. And I'm looking at him and over his shoulder from the hallway comes marching a tall man that was like completely translucent, like from his head to his like bust area to his chest. And he stands there and I look at him and then he turns around and goes into the door and out into a a different room. I like couldn't rationalize what I saw because I, that was exactly what this guy was describing to us. Uh, His features, everything else. And I just saw a Scooby-Doo ghost. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And I didn't tell anyone. Like, I didn't tell the guy. I didn't say like, shut up, man. Like, do you know what I just saw? Which would probably have been really great tape for my podcast. 
but I didn't, I didn't say anything. And then we had a long drive. We drove from there, like all the way to Charleston, uh, that same night. And the person I was with was this guy, Greg Newkirk. People know the Newkirks from the web series Hellier. I was with him and he's seen the weirdest stuff. And I didn't even feel comfortable telling him on that drive. I felt so bad about myself. (laughs) Why? I don't get it. Because I had tried to stay, like I was saying, I was trying to stay neutral for as long as I could, even though experiencing things, I felt a shame in having to be that guy that says he saw a ghost like that because it seems too good to be true and it seems too unreal to be believable. So I didn't want to become one of those people that would be looked at in that way, I think. So it was a defining moment for me and a learning lesson to really finally fucking understand what these people feel like that I'm featuring because they're coming to me with those stories that they feel that way about. And they're saying like, hey, listen, I hadn't told anybody about this, but this thing happened and I saw my mom or whatever as a ghost. And they're feeling that same way as me, usually totally self-conscious, not wanting to look like a nut. And uh, I think that's what that was. If, if we can, you know, kind of just be stereotypical and assign a meaning or a lesson into that, it was totally to be like, dude, get over yourself. These are what these people are sharing with you and trusting with you. And now you know what that feels like on the other side. During the podcast and some of the stories that you've been able to tell, which ones really stand out for you as like the stories you've been so happy to be able to, to help share? This last season was really interesting because it had to happen all over Zoom. And so it was the first time for this show that I, I wasn't able to go and share space with these people. So I tried to replicate that by having a lot of Zoom conversations with him in chunks. And, and a lot of it not recorded, a lot of it just hanging out to try to assimilate some sort of version of a personal relationship with these individuals, which is, which is honestly a pleasure, but also a considerate amount of time that I spend to just allow myself to be open and let people in and then let them know it's reciprocated. That's why I spent a week in rural Indiana last week is to be present and to have that relationship. But what I think was really powerful about this last season is that it seemed to work. And people through Zoom were seemingly more forthcoming than even when I've done these things in person. Because I think there was a little bit of sort of a security blanket around these very personal things. It was surprising to me. And some of the stories were, were really riveting because they were anonymous folks. This season was a lot of listeners of the show that reached out and said, listen, I want to tell my story for the first time. Like I haven't even told my family. Wow those moments are really special, you know, and, and you feel like a a great sense of responsibility in, in helping these people shape their stories for the first time. Again, like these stories, they're not just ghost stories. They're always about something that is happening with them as a human. Maybe there's a ghost involved, but it's about the person moving past an abortion they had or dealing with the death of a father, you know? Right. So yeah, I think that that season in general was really emotional and intimate in a way that when I'm having to like hike on a red rock mountain to get an interview with somebody is just different, you know? Wow. That's so fascinating. I mean, that's, that's even when I started doing this podcast, it's like, that's what I want. I want to just be able to have these like, you know, really pared down conversations with people where they can drop their guard and we can just have like, you know, it's like having that like safe space for people to come and there's no judgment being passed. It's just asking questions about things and letting people tell their story. And it is so cool when, when people can be in that comfortable space and, 
yeah, share experiences that they've had. I mean, whether it's just like through life or in your case, you know, dealing with the paranormal aspect of things. Um, what do you know about the demonic hour? What is the, de- the demonic hour? <laughs> so isn't the demonic hour between like two and three in the morning or something? Of like, because isn't there like a certain window when a lot of paranormal activity tends to happen? Or am I just getting this through different movies and whatnot and it's being fed into my brain? I definitely think there's probably something to it. I know some of the stuff that I've read in particular to like UFO sightings Mm -hmm. happen mostly on Wednesdays. Oh. At like sort of that time, like 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. sort of timing. And I think that represents, you know, sort of for the week, it's like the ultimate middle ground almost. And there is this whole reoccurring phenomenon in the paranormal of middle grounds being an expression of the phenomenon itself and, or at least like a portal to the strange, you know, I think you're right. Like middle of the night, typically things will happen then to people other than like, you know, 5 PM on a, you know, Friday or something. You know, there's there's a lot of probably a lot of factors to that. But I think in witness accounts, we see that like over and over and over again. And it's called this idea of liminality and liminal spaces and liminal being like sort of that in between. And so a lot of paranormal activity will happen in places of in between. So hotels, train stations, schools, they'll even happen in in between places like doorways and windows mirrors can be considered liminal spaces. Any place where there is a transition between here and there seemingly have the most accounted paranormal activities across the board, whether that's ghosts or cryptids or UFOs. And so there is something really strange about this idea of like the demonic hour. And I think that's probably what has inspired that in pop culture is because there's such an overwhelming amount of evidence of being like, Yep, totally happened in between. I mean, that's why I bring that up is because, I mean, the story that I was telling you before when John and I were in Seattle was, you know, the house that that I was living in when I was last living at home. It was my mom, my brother and I. But any time there would be these really loud knocks on my door and my brother's door, which they mirrored each other down a set of, you know, maybe three stairs. Our rooms were across the hall from each other, but there'd be like this loud whop on the very top of the door. And it was always around two and three o'clock in the morning. So that's what made me kind of look into it. Cause I was like, that's got to be something like, why is it happening here? And then I, I would notice it happen in movies and happen in different things. And I was like, Oh, I wonder like what there is to that of like that, which I guess, I don't know if it's actually called the demonic hour or what I know I've read that somewhere. I, I did not coin that term. But I, I, yeah, I mean, that stuff would always like really fascinate me. I mean, I still like I still have that time frame in my head that especially when John's gone on the road and I'm home alone, I'm like, okay, you know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and it's not reached two or three o'clock yet, I'm like, oh, something weird could still happen. But if I wake up and it's like five o'clock, I'm like, whew, all right, we're good. It's the morning. Nothing, nothing weird's going to happen from here on out. <laughs> I, it's funny that I'm right. even saying that. I don't know that I've even like fully registered that my brain works like that until I just said it out loud. But it's true. I mean, a lot, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you check to see what time it is. I do that a lot, obviously, now with the baby. But um, yeah, I, I often find that I'm like, hey, if I if it's past the two or three o'clock, 
it feels safer for me to like not worry about something spooky happening. I mean, I'm such a believer in that stuff anyways, but you know, not that I think like I've never had any kind of paranormal um, experiences in our house or in Las Vegas. But yeah, I mean, I definitely did when I was back home and, and had was, you know, living in that house and knocking on the door, the walking up and down the stairs, a lot of pacing throughout the house all the time, just feeling like you were being watched. There's something that you can't really put your finger on. They're like, something is happening. There's that, that energy. You can feel some kind of an energy sort of shift. And you always kind of want, like, want to look over your shoulder and like wonder what's happening. Why do I feel this way? Toronto is such an old city. And there's a ghost tours through there. And there's so much like rich history of, you know, through the old music halls and the old theaters and the old hospitals, taking those like ghost tours can be really, really cool just to, you know, learn about the history of a city and what some of those like ghost experiences can be. I love leaning into that stuff. It's the best. Would you ever go back to that house to see what was up or if it would happen again or I'd be down to do that. I mean, nobody from my family lives there anymore. So it was right before I moved out when I was about 19. So here's like in this part again, I guess this is where that self-conscious part kind of kicks in is you feel stupid telling certain parts of it, but it was right before I was about to move to Los Angeles. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, I'm packing up, going to be a star. I'm getting out of here. And I was like packing my bags. Like I literally had like my suitcase on the ground. I was like getting ready to go. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night because I heard someone whisper in my ear and felt my ear hot of somebody say, I'm coming with you and whispered it in my ear. But I don't like it's it's that weird thing. I'm like, did I make that up? Is that real? Is that not real? I don't know. But I do remember waking up and just feeling like so startled. My ear was hot as if somebody's breath had just been by my face. And somebody saying I'm coming with you as I was getting ready to to leave and move. And they didn't, obviously, like the experiences stopped at that point. I did not feel like it had like attached itself to me in any capacity or anything. So when I was moving to LA, my mom came with me because I was a child and didn't know my ass from my head. So she like flew down with me just to get me like settled in like the house that I was going to be staying in and blah, blah, blah. But during that time, her and I had spoken about it. So even like when we were all living at home, her, my brother and I, because my brother had left to go to college as well. So he had just moved out. We all moved out around the same time. But none of us ever really spoke about the house being haunted when we lived there. I think we were all kind of like, what the fuck? But none of us ever really said anything. And it wasn't until we were all moving out that we're like, that place is haunted, right? And we would all share our experiences of the same thing. Like my mom would be in the shower and, you know, she'd just be like in the shower with like the bathroom door closed, but her little dog had followed her into the bathroom and she could hear me on the outside of the door being like, Lola, Lola, come here, puppy. And mom's like, just open the door because the dog's barking and going nuts trying to get out. I was sound asleep in my room. It was like not me talking to the dog. Yeah. (laughs) So we all had these like bizarre stories. So it was when I was going to LA, my mom was with me and we had been speaking about it. And then when she flew back home, she had read a scripture from the Bible and we're not religious. We were not raised on like religion or anything, but she had looked up. She's like, oh, maybe this is a way to kind of get like to clear this space and clear, clear the energy. I mean, whether you're saging something or reading a passage or whatever, but she went home and she did that. And she said that nothing else ever really happened after that. It was like closing a chapter, or like making peace with the spirit that was there. But I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like 
it was like a menacing spirit or anything like that. But there was definitely like an energy and a presence within that house. It was bizarre. You know, what's crazy about that, Renee, is that even though they didn't, I'm not trying to freak you out, but I'm just trying to make like a broader point here, I think. What's interesting about that is that although that spirit didn't follow you in that specific way with the knocks and everything else, like if you wake up at two or three in the morning, you're still like going like, oh, so it kind of did follow you in that way. I mean, unless that's just like my like trauma, I'm like terrified of the dark. Like I'm so afraid. I'm such a little bitch when it comes to the dark. Like I like to sleep with the TV on. And that's the thing, too, is if I wake up and I'm like, oh, the TV's fr- it's still playing reruns of Frasier. But if it's like past a certain time, I'm like, OK, I can shut it off now. I can like sleep in the dark in peace. I know that it's early enough in the morning that it'll be fine. But if I wake up and it's like 130, I'm like, hell no, I'm keeping that shit on. Give me that light just in case. I'm not like afraid of ghosts. I'm not afraid of the dark. I've just had too many weird situations. But let me be honest. You know, just a couple of days ago, I was staying at this place called the Story Inn in Story, Indiana. This is where I was on all like sort of the top 10 lists and everything online. It ranks as if not the most haunted place in the Midwest, one of the most haunted places in the Midwest. And I stayed in the room where there's sort of like the blue ladies here. You know, this is the blue lady room. This is the one on all the press and everything. And I totally slept with the lamp on all night long. <laughs> I was going to say, if you didn't, you're a psychopath. Like, you would have to. It's a really interesting thing, and it's kind of a mindfuck, I think. But I'm there, like, to work, right? Like, I have to collect tape. I've got interviews I got to do. Like, I'm on a schedule that nobody else knows, just myself, of, like, all the stuff I'm trying to collect. And I can't be kept up by ghosts. <laughs> like, they're not. that's not a part of the story. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to get stuff. So there have been times when it's, like, messed up my schedule. Like, in New Orleans, for example, I stayed at a haunted hotel. And it was just a hotel, but everything is haunted there, right? And I was woke up like several times by something. And it's kind of a funny story. Like I'm laying there deep in sleep and nobody changed the alarm, like the clock alarm of the room. It was like four in the morning, goes off. I turn it off, go back to sleep, does it again. And this time I unplug the thing and I'm laying there. It's like 4.30 or five in the morning. And I start to feel this shake on the side of the bed. And then they kind of stop and and I had remembered some advice this paranormal investigator John Tenney gave me. And it was when you're interacting with a paranormal, it's almost like a game is happening. And the paranormal can kind of nudge you and go like, hey, want to play? So I remembered that and I had a really busy day, a lot of tape I had to collect. I knew I needed to make a choice at that point in time, whether I was going to engage or not. So even though I felt like a crazy person, I leaned up after this continuing to happen. I leaned up and I go, if you're a spirit... And you heard that alarm and you're trying to help me wake up by shaking my bed. I so appreciate that. Like, thank you so much. But it was not for me and I don't have time to play right now. Like, I need to go to sleep and get some rest. Can you go away for a while? I laid back down and it never happened again. A <laughs> message received. The timing of everything, uh, the intent felt real and... I later learned that in that hotel, uh, like kind of a phantom maid or something is a very common occurrence at the hotel I was at. <laughs> I love all the weird. Um, okay. So where can people check out Defy and when can people check out Euphemet? You can find Euphemet at Euphemet.com. It's E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. 
You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I also do a live radio show out of Seattle called Night Drift. It's on 1150 KKNW at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Sundays and then has its own podcast feed as well. And Defy Wrestling, you can find it at defywrestling.com. We have a service called defyandemand.com, which you'll be able to see uh, this guy, John Moxley, in his first first match in Defy. He's just like this guy you might know, might want to check out. An incredible main event. <laughs> he's not bad. He's, he's got a good future ahead of him. He's got something to him. Some some quality, you know? Kid's going to go far. Uh, yes. And it's at, at defynw all over social media. And we're coming, like, maybe we're coming to a city near you because we're coming to L.A., Later this month, we're going to be in Portland and then back in Seattle. Awesome. Well, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time. I could on it. This could be like a several hours long podcast because uh, I have so many questions and there's so many different avenues to have these conversations. Um, but you are my very first episode of the spooky oral sessions for uh, for the month of October. So thank you. Appreciate it, friends. Yeah, maybe we'll continue it if you come up November 20th. I think I am. So get ready. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Thanks, dude. Thanks, Renee. A big thank you to Jim for hanging out with me. As he said, he he kind of rattled off there where you can check out Defy. Hey, you can check out his podcast, Euphemit. I highly recommend it. Guys, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram. Let me know what other books I should be reading. Um, If there's any great movies that I should be watching. I really want to check out this McPherson tapes situation. So I'm going to find that on Shudder because that seems way up my alley. I love stuff that's um, shot Blair Witch style with the like the found footage and all that. I love those. So if you guys have those, throw them my way. We're getting into all of the scary stuff. Let's thrive. Let's do this. Um, all right. Until next week, this has been Oral Sessions. 